So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 15. Again, my name is Eric Hill. Uh, I'm the, the lead pastor here. Uh, we started just a little over a year ago uh, in a home with 11 adults, a few families, and the Lord has blessed us to where we're able to move and, uh, and launch here at Second Year. So if, again, if you're a guest of ours, we're so grateful uh, for you being here today. Um, if you have a Bible, I want you to be with me in Luke chapter 15. We started last week uh, looking at this story. It's a story um, that even Charles Dickens said was probably the greatest short story ever written. This story that is Jesus tells in Luke 15, it's a story, it's a, we learn it's a, it's a parable, it's a story that Jesus has given to teach a, an example, to teach something about, usually it's about his kingdom. Oftentimes the parables are teaching something about his kingdom, about eternity with the Lord or heaven. Uh, and in this story we see uh, right away we pick up on a few things. I love what uh, John Piper said because if you have a Bible in front of you, look at verse 2. This gives us a clue to all three of these stories that Jesus uh, told. And in verse 2 it tells us this. That in verse, so Luke 15, if you have a Bible, Luke 15 verse 2. says, And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled saying, here's why they were grumbling. Why were they upset? Why were they frustrated? Why were they annoyed by Jesus? And here's why they said this. Again, these are the, this is just a reminder, if you're not super familiar with uh, Jewish law, which probably most of us are not, uh, but with Jews, there were these, um, the Pharisees, they were kind of a ruling party and a, and a religious party. They were high on keeping the law and following God's, God's law. And they had, because they didn't want to break God's law, they added a bunch of other laws to help them from breaking God's law, but then quickly those laws became higher than God's law, and they became very much legalistic, very much against doing anything against God's law. I mean, it sounds great. You would think, oh, these are religious people. These people love God, and here yet we see in verse 2, the Pharisees, the scribes, grumbled, and here's what they grumbled about, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This is what they said about Jesus, that Jesus, they're, crumbling, they're, they're grumbling about it and saying, wait, why does Jesus eat with these filthy people? Why would he eat with people who are sinful? Like, and they would say like tax collectors, like the IRS, right? Like, why would Jesus want to hang out with the IRS? Why would he want to take it? Because if you know, again, this is not a statement about our government because I'm sure someone's listening, but, <laughs> but, but you know, like, but, but in, in, their, in their culture especially, basically the tax collector could set the wage that he wanted. So he was gonna, he had to get a certain amount for the government, but whatever else he could get from people, he would get to keep in his pockets. And so people looked on them very harshly and they would get very upset about them because naturally they seemed like they were cheats and they would steal from you. And so these people, and they're like, why would Jesus actually say, sit down. Austin read earlier from scripture at another story, another instance of Jesus after he calls Levi, who's now going to change his name to Matthew, who wrote, wrote the book of Matthew, um, that Levi was a tax collector and Jesus called him to follow him and become one of his 12 disciples. And then he goes to his house and has a dinner party with other tax collectors. And here in this story, the people are looking at that, the religious people, the, the people who are the churchgoers, they're looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, why do you eat with these kind of people? Why do you accept them? Why do you love them? Why do you have them over to your house? Why do you share a meal with these kind of people? They complained about it. I love what John Piper said on these verses. He said this. He says, Jesus is eating with sinners because he is a doctor with a cure, not because he is an employer 
with the labor shortage. And what we'll see in a second is that's exactly the person that we're going to look at today, the older brother in our story. Most people look at this prodigal son story with kind of like an emotional, teary-eyed, like, oh, it's just very sentimental. Like this, this wayward person, because we all know those people. It might have been ourselves. It might have been a family member, friend, relative, someone who's maybe kind of went crazy, right? Like it's like crazy uncles, kind of a phrase we use, right? Like there's this person who's kind of wild. They go and they live their life for themselves. And we know about those people. And sometimes they come to their senses, and they wake up to the mistakes they've made. Maybe they fell, in a, they fell in a ton of debt or they fell into a lot of trouble and all of a sudden their eyes are opened up to the plight that they're in and the bed that they've made for themselves and they change. And we look on those people and we're like, man, that's, that's, that's awesome. Awesome to see someone come from that. Well, here in this story, the idea was not to look on it with such sentimentality. The Pharisees, the original audience, would have been angry and upset thinking, wait, This younger brother, when he's sitting in the pigsty, deserves every bit of it. That's how they would have looked on it. Like, he's getting what he deserved. He he chose this. He took from his father's inheritance. So if if you weren't with us last week, Jesus tells in chapter 15 three parables. The first parable is a parable of a shepherd who leaves the 99 to find one lost sheep. He has the shepherd and this idea that there's this one sheep that's lost. He has 99 in the pen. All 99 of the 100 are safe. We'd say that's, I mean, like for me in high school, that would have been like, I mean, I would have taken an 85. That would have been great. If I had 85 of the 100 sheep, I'd have been happy. It's a B. You know, it's great. You know, but here he's saying, no, 99 is not sufficient. I'm going after the other. And sure enough, he goes, the shepherd searches. He finds the sheep. He puts it on his shoulders and brings it back to the fold. And then he explains that there's great celebration on its return. He tells another story. He tells a, a story about a woman who had, had 10 coins and she lost one of her coins. She couldn't find this coin, but what does she do? She tears up the house. She moves the furniture. She sweeps the floor. She's looking diligently, actively trying to find this one coin. And then eventually she finds the coin. And then what does she do? She celebrates. And each of these stories is a celebration, and Jesus explains it. It's a celebration of of a description of someone who is far from God, who comes and is drawn near to God, and there's great celebration on them being found, the lost being found. Then we come to the third story, the story that's the one we looked at last week, the story of the prodigal son. And we looked specifically last week at the younger son and how there's this allure of sin but what we said is that sin, that allure of sin, is off, it almost always, 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 always is, it, it promises much and so underdelivers. It says, oh, if you'll just go after this, you'll be happy, you'll be satisfied. If you pursue this career path and you give everything to this career path, you will experience great things. But we quickly find out when you pursue those things, there's something empty, there's something missing. And it's this idea of, and then there's this idea of like just sin, like, hey, you know what? I'm not happy in this marriage. I'll try this one or try that one or try this or that or whatever. And we can go on all these different things seeking to try to go to be happy. And scripture is saying, sin promises a lot, but it delivers so little. It actually leads you to death and despair as we find in the story of the prodigal son. But we also learn is the younger son really what he wanted was he wanted the father's things rather than the actual father. He wanted the stuff that the father could provide. He wanted what his dad could give, right? Like maybe some of you might could relate somewhat in that way. It's like, I don't really care about my dad. or I don't care about relationship with my father. I just am hoping he, I'm going to keep in good graces so maybe he'll give me an inheritance one day. 
Or maybe uh, there's other people in your life where you, you just want what they deserve. And I think that's so many people. That's what we looked at last week. So many people, that's exactly how they treat God. They, they don't really care for actually God. They just care for what he can provide, what he can give. What does God give me? If he gives me eternal life, sweet, that sounds great. Oh, can he bless my, my home? Can he give me a, a, a place to live? Can he give me a job? And we can pray these prayers, and, and all we really want is what the Father can give, not what the Father has in himself, his relationship. And finally, we looked and saw that repentance, we noticed that there's a lot of clarity when you are at rock bottom. There's a whole lot of clarity. When you've hit the bottom, kind of all the dross, all the, the distractions of the things of this world, you're left with nothing. You're empty and you're alone. And this younger son in this story, he had taken what his father had given him. He took it early. He said, I don't care about you. I'm leaving the family. He goes to a far country and he wasted on, on prostitution and just having these parties and living his life, living his dream life. But he quickly ran out of all of it. And he's sitting in a pigsty. He's at the lowest of lows. And he comes to his senses and reminds himself, man, the servants in my father's house have, have more than me. And so he decides to go, and he goes, and sure enough, there's a celebration. But what we see is, and I want you to look at, and that's what we're going to look at today, is in verse 25. So if you have a Bible, Luke 15, verse 25. says this, so there's a big celebration. The, fa- the son has come home. The younger son who has wasted his life has come home, and the father takes his, his best robe and places it on his son. He takes a ring and he puts the ring back on his son's finger, showing the sign of sonship that he is a part of the family. He takes shoes and puts shoes on his feet. And then they take and they take the fatted calf and they, they, they are going to have a big, huge barbecue and they're going to celebrate and they're going to just celebrate that their lost son, the son who had wandered off, has come back home. And here in verse 25, it picks up the story. The story, a lot of times for most people, ends here. But it's not the end of the story. And it's actually where if you don't stop, if you stop there, you miss the point of the whole story. So if you have a Bible, look at, with me in verse 25. So now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, think about this. Say you're, you're, you're the older brother. You've stayed home, right? You've been faithful at home. You've worked for your dad. You've served him. You've, you've tried to do all these things for him. And then your younger brother takes the inheritance that was supposed to be waited for. And you're the older brother. In Jewish culture, you get a double portion of the inheritance. Now that inheritance has been divided, given to your brother. Your brother has wasted it. Now he's come home and you're here and there's a celebration. How are you going to feel if you're the brother in that situation? I think I can, I can relate. I have an older brother. Uh, I'm not the one. I would be the one who would be more faithful. I'm just kidding. I don't. My brother and I, thankfully, we, we both get along and uh, haven't wandered too far, I don't think. Um, but I can imagine, though, how that would feel. You've been faithful. You've been the good boy, right? You've, you've stayed home. You've worked hard. And here comes brother rolling in. He's got nothing. And dad's like embracing him, kissing him, celebrating. Let, let's, let's, let's have a huge feast for the whole town, the whole village. We're going to celebrate that our son who was lost, who was dead, is now alive and is back home again. You hear this news. Maybe what are some things? Maybe you don't want to say it out loud, right? But it goes through your head. You're like, dirty scum. Like, are you kidding me? He took and wasted everything. Are we just going to let him back in here? He's going to come back in here. You know what he's going to do again? He's going to do it again. He didn't learn any lessons. He's, he's just coming back here because he's desperate. He's going to come home, and he's just going to ask for more. 
I think, I think that's some of the questions I would be asking. And so look at what happens in the story as it continues. So he asked the servant. The servant tells him, there's the son, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Verse, verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His older brother says, I hear there's a party. I hear we're celebrating my younger brother. I'm angry and I am not going in. I can't look at that guy without wanting to punch him in the face. He's angry. He's refused to go in. We're going to look at next week the father and how he interacts with both of his brothers. It's really remarkable. We see it, but we'll focus on it next week. But notice what happens. He's angry, refused to go in, but what does the father do? His father he came out. He entreated him. Notice in verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years. Listen to what, there's so much in these few verses. Listen to his response. Look, these, ye, these many years. Notice what he says here. I have served you. He's talking, this is the older brother talking to his dad. His dad has come out trying to get him to come into the party. Like, hey, son, Stop moping out here. Don't, look, don't be angry. Come, in, come celebrate your brother who was dead. He's alive. Let's celebrate. Come, come and join me in this feast, in this celebration. Join me. Let's celebrate together. And he says to his father, he looks at, and he says, look, these many years, I have served you, dad. And, and I never disobeyed. Notice this. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a younger goat, a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's like, here, you're giving, all, you're giving all kinds of lavish gifts. I've been faithful all these years. I've been right by your side. I've obeyed every command of yours. You haven't even celebrated me once. I think most of us can listen to that, and you're like, uh-huh, that makes sense. I see what you're saying there, older brother. I'm with you. You should tell him, like, that's not right. He says, you never gave me a young goat, but that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, but when this son of yours, he doesn't even want to call him his brother. He's like, your son, you ever done that before? In such anger, you're like, your son? You know, like when you're really upset with your kids, your parents, you know, sometimes you're like, that's your son, not my son. Um, and he said to him, son, or, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with, notice what he's, he's going to list out his sins, with, with prostitutes. He's devoured your property and ultimately my property too because we divided the inheritance. He says, your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for that? And he said to him, son, this is again the father, amazing. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I think there's a lot to learn here, and there's a few lessons I want us to look at this, this morning. When I think about why he's so angry, I was asking myself that question this week as I was preparing for today and, and praying over these verses and thinking about them, and I was wondering, like, why is he so angry? You know, for instance, maybe I was thinking about this. Why would he be angry? Maybe he felt like the father's love was unjust. Like, why, would God, why should the father accept this guy? He doesn't deserve it. Like, he doesn't deserve your love. Like, he has 
He's wasted, he's like literally, you, you've wasted, he's devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him? So he's angry, he's upset that maybe the father's love was, was unjust. Or He's like, I've been faithful to obey you and not even once have you spared a young goat to celebrate me. Maybe he's thinking, forgiving my brother is going to cost too much. Because remember, the, the inheritance got divided. Is it going to get divided again? And if it is again when the father actually dies, then boom, the, the older brother's inheritance gets cut even more so. So maybe he saw his forgiveness as just too great a cost. Like, this is going to cost me too much. I'm not willing to forgive. For whatever reason, he does not want to forgive his brother. And he does not want to celebrate. And he thinks he does not deserve a celebration. And I would argue that I think all of us would agree to some degree, you're like, yeah, he doesn't deserve it. And yeah, I would probably be angry too. Angry too. But I want you, to, if, you have no, if you have notes with you, you have a pen or something there, just a few thoughts, a few lessons from uh, this really remarkable story that I think so many times we miss because we focus so much on the, the prodigal son, the idea of the, the younger son leaving the inheritance and then coming back in the father's embrace. We miss the, the point of this actual whole story in the elder son. One, the first one is this. And I want you to see this in your, in your notes is this. You're standing with God is not based on your performance for God. I think that's so important for us to see. Your standing with God, your, like, your relationship with God is not based on your performance for God. It's not about what you do. It's also this, I would say it this way, I was telling Will when we were putting the notes on the screens for you, I really had a, a, a point one and a point one A because I liked both phrasings of them and so I'm just going to give you both. So feel, but they both really mean the same thing. The other way that I was kind of putting it was this, was closeness to the things of God is not the same as closeness to God. Like your proximity to God doesn't determine how actually close you are to your, to your heavenly father. I mean, I think we know that, right? Just because like p plenty of people might be living in the same home with their dad or their spouse, but they could be so far from each other, right? Just because you lay in the same bed doesn't mean you're in a good, healthy relationship together. You could be so far apart yet living in the same home. So the reality is our closeness to the things of God is not, is not the same as closeness to God, or your standing with God is not based on your performance for God. You see, the elder brother is close. Think about this. The elder brother is close to his father. He stayed home. Younger brother left and wasted it all, wasted his whole inheritance on loose living, on wild living, and prodigal living, as, as, as it were. The elder brother is close to his father in proximity. In contrast to his brother who's taken everything and left to a far country. But actually, I want you to hear this. I think this is so important because I think this is what's the problem and why this is such a big deal. And Jesus over and over again hit on this throughout the New Testament, through the Gospels. Is ultimately, but actually as the younger brother sat alone in the pigsty, he was actually becoming closer and closer to his father. And the son who was right sitting at home and stayed in the farm and on the land was so far from his father, but he just didn't know it. He didn't see it. He was blind to it. And I think this can be true of so many professing followers of Jesus. And you can say, well, I own a Bible. I pray before meals. I give money to charity. I serve in the church. Maybe I'm even a pastor, but in reality, their hearts are far from the Lord. 
I like what Mark Twain said about this. He said, he was a good man. Talking about the elder brother. He was a good man in the worst sense of the word. Like, he looked good. He was around. He was present. He was serving. He was working. But relationally in his heart, he was far from his father. Reminds me of the story further in your, in your, in your Bible there in Luke 18, verse 10 through 14. The story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus tells another story. I want you to listen to these words. Listen to this self-righteous prayer. I mean, every time I read it, I'm shocked, but I think in my heart, do I do the same thing? I might not be bold enough to say it out loud. Listen to this story that Jesus told of the two men, this Pharisee and the tax collector. Listen to it. It, it, He tells it in, in Luke 18, verse 10. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. In verse 11, it says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed these words. Listen to this Pharisee's prayer. God, I thank you. Listen to this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. What kind of prayer is that? It's a prayer of just boasting. Like, God, I thank you. I'm not like all these other crazies in front of me. God, I thank you. I'm not like this tax collector here as well. And Jesus is telling the story, and then he goes on to say, Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's what Jesus said in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee, the religious one, seemed close to God. He gave, he tithed, he was righteous. He wasn't an adulterer. He was, he was not like the tax collector and the extortioner. He wasn't doing all these things against people. He was a good person, but he was a good person in the worst sense of the word, as, as uh, Mark Twain says. He was far from God, and actually the person who was the tax collector, the one who was the sinner, is beating his chest, and what is he praying? It's a song that we sang earlier. His mercy is more. He's crying out for mercy because he knows he doesn't deserve God's love. He doesn't deserve his acceptance. But the Pharisee, and this is what I want you to see, the Pharisee thinks he deserves it. He thinks he deserves God's love. He thinks he deserves these things because look at the works. Look at the things I've done. Look at what I've accomplished, what I'm doing. And and, and yes, in a prideful way, because he even hits on it, but even you could say in not a prideful way, and what comes across as humble, like, look, I'm doing all these things. I'm not necessarily doing them for show. I'm just doing all these things. But you're doing it for the wrong reasons without a heart that loves the Father. So the reality is, is your standing with God is not based on your performance for God. I like what Tim Keller said. He said, what makes you a Christian or not a Christian is not so much whether you're obeying the will of God, but why you're obeying the will of God. I want to say that again. I think it's a really good statement from Tim Keller. He says, what makes you a Christian or not a Christian is not so much whether you're obeying the will of God, but, but, but why you're obeying the will of God. It's about your affections. It's about your heart. In Psalm 1, we learn about the person who delights in the law of the Lord. Over and over again throughout the Psalms, you see the psalmist delighting in God's word. He long, and I mean, even specifically his law. I don't think most people 
delight in law. You're like, I don't like the rules. I like to break rules. <laughs> you give me a rule, I want to break it naturally, right? Like most people don't delight in law. And here David says, I delight in your law. Why would David delight in God's law? Because he was delighting in the Lord. He loved God and this is God's word and this is his law. Notice again what, notice, go back in our passage in Luke 15. Notice the statements that the older son makes. Because he's telling his father, and he's like, I'm angry and refuse to go in. And when his, he answered his father, he said, look, these many years, this is verse 29, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. I mean, even if we take him at face value and say, he didn't even dis- disobey his father. He obeyed his father perfectly. How is he still considered in this story far from his father? He obeyed him. He did what he said. Why? Why is that such important? Why is there a distinction between obeying and still being far from the Father? Simple. It's your heart. Do you delight in God? It goes back to last week with the younger brother. Do you just like the things of God rather than God himself? Do I love you, God, or do I love what you can provide me? Do I long for you? Do I desire you? more than these things. And Tim Keller's saying, he's kind of given us that distinction, I, I think he's saying it well, is that it's not determined so much, if we're a Christian or not, determined on our obedience of the will of God, but why we are obeying the will of God. It's our affections. You know, I think of this in, in many ways, right? In relationships, we can use people for our benefit. We can take them and, and use people to get something from them. Whether it's, whether it's having children, you can want acceptance and 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 so you have this child and you think oh i love this child i'm giving my love but it's 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 so much like they're giving you a sense of value and worth and you're putting so much pressure on those children you can do that with a spouse you can do it with your career path you can do all these things you can put so much of your affections but the things that you love do you love those things for what they provide or is it there's something different right like if you get connected in a career and you're just like man i love what i do it's not just that it's like it's like there's something more there. There's something deeper there. Like when I took music appreciation in, in college, I was only taking that class to try to get a good grade. Like there was nothing about music appreciation that I wanted to appreciate. <laughs> like I was, it was like, let's listen to Mozart and Beethoven. I'm like, all right, all right, I think. And then someone would get up there and explain how eloquent and oh, what this is trying to tell me. And I'm like, I don't get it. I'm going to appreciate this as long as I can get an A or a B. <laughs> I'll be great right? Like, but like when you find that passion, you love it for what it is, not because of a grade or not because of, of this is going to, what it's going to give me. It's like, you just love it. Same thing with God here. And I think that's so important for us to see is that ultimately your standing with God is not based on your performance of God. Number two is this second lesson from this is it is very easy to point out the sins of others, but completely miss our own. It is very, very easy to point out the sins of others, but completely miss our own. The Pharisees and the scribes were very good at pointing out the sins of others. Again, this is why Jesus is telling this parable. I love and I, mean, I, I appreciate it, but it speaks to my heart as well. But I love the illustration of this in Matthew 7, when Jesus is explaining about judging others. And he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye 
but do not notice. The, I mean, you can just like see this as a cartoon, I feel like. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? So like the picture is like this guy, he's going and he's trying to see like this little dust speck or this little thing in this guy's eye. And here he is, he's trying to reach the guy and, and to get the speck out of his eye. But as Jesus tells, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. It's like this picture of a log sticking in your eye and you're trying to reach a speck in someone else's, but the log's kind of in the way. And he says, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own. And he says this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Isn't that natural? It's so natural to see and notice small things in people and point out those things or talk bad about them and gossip about them and and talk negatively and notice the sins of others and completely miss the log actually sticking out of our own eye. It's the blind spots. We miss the blind spots. Maybe it's familiarity. Maybe it's other reasons. But we miss that, and we focus on the sins of other people and miss our own sins. Again, the elder brother's doing this. He's focusing. He's like, I've obeyed you perfectly. I've done all these things. But your brother, who has wasted his, your inheritance and your, and your property, and he's taken it and he's wasted it on, all, on the prostitution. And he's wasted all of this on loose living. He's devoured your property. Verse 30. He's focused on his brother, and he's not celebrating the fact that his brother's come home. He's focused on his sin, even his past sin. And don't we do that too? We can hold something against someone, a past mistake. We do this in marriages. We, I mean, when I've done marriage counseling and different things like that, there's like a record of wrongs that, that was talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, that love does not keep a record of wrongs. But what do we do in marriage? So often, we, we, like when something happens, we, we hold them to that standard of something they've done in their past, or maybe a few things they've done in their past, and we keep bringing that up and kind of dangling it over them. Here, we don't forgive them. And so it's so easy to focus on the faults and the sins of others and completely miss our own. I want to tell you this. This is why I think this is so important. Because it's obvious the sin of the younger brother. It's obvious. He took, he took from his father. He's basically like, you're dead to me, Dad. Give me, your, give me my inheritance now, not until when you die. I don't care about you. Just give me your money. And, I, and he gets his money, and he goes and he wastes it in loose living and all this stuff. It's very obvious to see, man, that guy's messed up. He's, he's a failure. He's, he's, he's sinned overtly. We notice it. But what's a lot harder to notice is the sin of the elder brother. We don't notice that. But here, if we were to put ourselves in the shoes, if you're sitting in this morning, if we put ourselves in the shoes of one of these two brothers, which one are we probably going to put ourselves in? Probably, for most of us, we're probably putting ourselves in the shoes of the elder brother. Guess what that means? For many of us, we have blind spots. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad. I mean, I might have sinned a couple times. I might have made a, I got upset a couple times with my kids, or I might have said some things I, I regret. And we can think, I mean, but I'm not terrible. I haven't done that many bad things. I'm not like this person, or I'm not crazy like that person, or I'm not like the tax collectors. I'm not like the, quickly we turn into the Pharisee, and we're blind to it, and we don't see our sins. And, and over and over again, Jesus warns us about, uh, the, and I would say us, if you're sitting in this room, probably us. You're here at church today. Probably it's about us. It's the, the religious person who doesn't see this and doesn't realize that they're far from the Father and they're at, they think they're near. And that's so many of our people and so many of us. Over, I've seen this in my own heart. I, think, I really believe that was me, especially from about five years old to about 17. Some of those 12, 13 years of me feeling like I was close to God when really I was far from him. 
because I was self-righteous. I was so much like the Pharisee. And here the warning is, it's very easy to point out the sins of others but completely miss our own. Jesus really gives a strong warning on this. He tells us in Matthew about how many people in that last day will cry, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. I've done this. I've maybe took care of the poor. I've done these things. And, he, and here's what Jesus says. He says, depart from me because I never knew you. You see that relationship? The heart relationship wasn't there. It's far from the Lord. And it's very easy to miss when you're like an elder brother. The third and final lesson is this. A changed heart rejoices at what the Father rejoices. Celebration. You see, when your heart, when you're in a relationship with the Father, when you love the Father, you're going to celebrate when the Father celebrates. If, the, if, you're, if you love your Father, Lord, we're talking about in this story, we're talking about God. If you love God, you're going to celebrate the things that God celebrates over. And here, there's a celebration. The Father is thrilled to see his Son come home. He wants to throw a party, but yet, what does the older brother do? He's like, I don't even want to go inside that room. I'm not entering that room. I do not want to celebrate this your son, this son of yours. You see, rather than rejoicing over sinful people's failures, we should weep over them, pray for them, and celebrate when people come to saving faith in Jesus. Jesus' own teaching in the Sermon on the Mount tells us this. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, all three of these parables are about rejoicing over sinful people repenting. I want you to look at it just really briefly. Look at verse, in, ver, in chapter 15, look at the first parable he tells. When a man having a hundred sheep, and so he finds the, the, the one lost sheep, and notice what he says in verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And here's what Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who I'll put the word here. He says, who need no repentance. Who these, what he's saying is, who thinks they don't need repentance. They need repentance, but in their minds, they don't think they need repentance. I'm a good person. I'm self-righteous. I'm good. And then the same thing with the second parable, the parable of the lost coin. The, the lady searches all over the house. She finds it in verse 9, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner. Who repents? Think about that. I mean, hundreds of millions probably of angels and just one lowly little human being on earth repents of their sins. And it tells us there's more rejoicing in heaven over just one person who puts their faith in Jesus. And there's celebration. Can you imagine what that celebration looks like with that many people? I mean, if you've ever watched a football game with 100,000 people in a stadium, it's pretty remarkable. When you see them all celebrating, I mean, we got to see that a, a week ago with Tennessee just storming the field when they um, beat Alabama. I mean, they hadn't beat Alabama in years. I mean, over a decade, 15, 16 years, something like that. And here they're just rushing the floor. I mean, they're all just unbelievably joyous. Can you imagine heaven being like that with hundreds of millions of, of angels celebrating over just this one person, maybe this young boy right downstairs or this young girl downstairs with our kids' ministry. And this person puts their faith in Jesus for the first time. And there's just a, a massive celebration in heaven. He says, this is what it's like in heaven over just one person who repents of their sins. And then he tells this third story. 
And he's telling us this third story to point out this elder brother who's like unwilling to celebrate over his brother, his own brother, coming back home. It tells a lot about the heart. It tells us a lot about, I think, our hearts. Because if my heart's been changed by the gospel, when you recognize who you once were, when you recognize your sinfulness, your depravity, your, that I do not deserve God's grace in my life, Him blessing me, Him loving me, Him accepting me as His child and adopting me into His family as His own. When I recognize I don't deserve it, you're not going to look at other people, but see, the elder brother thinks he deserves it because I've worked, I've earned, I've done, I've done these things, and he's, I've obeyed your word, and so he thinks he deserves the Father's love, so that when his brother comes, he thinks he doesn't deserve it. But here's the thing, when you realize that you don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it, when we see others who also don't deserve it come, we celebrate because we recognize it's by grace we've been saved, not through works. It's by Him. And when we see that God is good and that He loves us, not because we deserve it, in spite of us, He loves us. When we understand that, something in us should change. And it should lead to our heart being changed so that we rejoice over the one person. The one person. Maybe it's a person who, who's lived a lifestyle of sin that the world, we would look on it and be like, man, that is grotesque sin. And we would celebrate over them coming to saving faith in Christ and not look down on them or say, well, I don't know if we want to let them step into some leadership in the church or I'm not sure they should be here. I'm not sure they should be the ones greeting. They might turn people away. And we could look down with such condescending, judgmental eyes. That's the elder brother speaking in your heart because that's the heart that's far from God that looks close, but it's far from him. And here's my plea with you is our hearts are very deceptive and they blind us to the reality of our own hearts and that we think, well, I'm not like the younger brother. I stay home. I'm not that bad of a person. I'm good. God will accept me. Be very careful that your heart actually isn't far from him because a heart that truly loves the Lord rejoices over sinners coming to saving faith in him. I love what one commentator wrote. I said one commentator because I still struggle to say his name. It's Thabiti Anyabwile, I think is how you say his last name. I've read several books of his. I still don't know how to say his name. But he says this, While the Christian subscribes to high morality, his morality is not what makes him a Christian. It's his unique covenant relationship with God wherein he comes to enjoy God forever that makes him a Christian. Repentance opens his eyes to see and savor God. You see, God longs to adopt you into his family. That's why I love that quote from John Piper. It might not have made sense early on, but I want you to hear it again, what he was saying, because I think so many of us treat God like the elder brother, like he's a master and we're just a servant trying to please him. Because that's what John Piper says. Jesus is eating with sinners because he's a doctor with a cure, not because he is an employer with a labor shortage. He needs, God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our service. What can I do that God couldn't do on his own? Absolutely nothing. I'll just mess it up, actually. (laughs) Like, God doesn't need us. 
He doesn't need more servants. He doesn't need more people to serve him. The Bible tells us when he came, he didn't come to be served, but he, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give of himself and to give himself, lavish himself on people. What does he want? He doesn't want servants. He wants sons and daughters. He's adopting you into his family. He's saying, you are mine, and I want you to enjoy relationship with me and celebrate with me and get to experience life with me and get all of the inheritance. What Jesus gets, we get. Like, he is the only son, adopts us into his family. We get to be called the children of God. This is what the gospel is telling us over and over again. It's the reminder that we're not just like, he's this master and we're supposed to serve. That's what the older brother did. And it kept him far from God. What changed for this younger brother was he didn't see his father as loving and kind. He maybe saw him as a taskmaster. And he's like, I want out of this. But when he got to the depths, the younger brother did, he realized and he came to his senses that my dad actually is good. He actually is kind. He actually is loving. And so he comes home and he's ready to give this speech to try to earn it back. And the father says, no, you're welcomed in as a son. And here the invitation is to the elder brother. This is what's so unique about the story. And you might have missed it. When we read it in verse 31, the father saying, come, join me in the celebration. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Did the brother come in? Did he accept him or not? Did he come in and he celebrate with the family? We don't know. And I think that's the point. The point is to say, we're the elder brother. We're, the invitation is open. Come to me. Not just you who are far, what you think is far from God, but those who are actually near to God in trying to do these things for him, but are actually far from him. He's saying, come, join me. The call is the same. The call is the same for the younger brother as it is for the older brother. Put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. When you put your faith in him, when you put your total reliance on Christ, not to get his acceptance, not to be like, okay, God, will you accept me now if I say the right prayer, do the right things? No, When you recognize your desperate need of grace and you cry out for mercy and grace, he is quick to forgive. and He adopts you into his family and you get the full rights, as Paul says in his letters, the rights as sons, as an elder son, as the one who gets the double portion. And God wants to lavish that on you, but it takes humility and it takes a willingness to say, God, I don't deserve. My goodness is not good enough. There's nothing I could do to deserve your love. I put my faith solely in what you have accomplished on the cross by your death and resurrection, not something that I can ever do to repay you, but solely of grace. I'm putting my hope in you. You can experience what the younger son did. My prayer is that as elder sons, which is probably most of us in this room, how we treat God, that we would come in and celebrate and join with all of the other saints to celebrate um, life in his name. Will you pray with me now? Father, I see myself in this story. I see my heart and how it's so easily drawn to self-righteousness and earning and deserving and trying to deserve your love. Father, there is, help me to be constantly reminded, there is nothing that I can do to deserve your love. It is all of grace. It's a gift given. 
that needs to be received. The invitation, just like the father inviting his eldest son to come in and celebrate with him. The invitation is open. It's a call to come and join in a great feast and celebration of all the saints who've ever lived to put their, who've put their faith in Jesus to celebrate with him. I pray that, Father, that we would set aside our pride and put our faith in you. You are such a good God to us, and we so don't deserve it. Father, forgive us for focusing on the sins of others and minimizing our own. God, reveal the sin, sin in our hearts. God, help us to confess that sin, to put it to you, and that knowing that you nailed that all of our sin to the cross, and that forgiveness is right there for us if we just ask. Thank you that you're merciful and good. Thank you that it's all because of you. As I know we're about to sing, God, it is yet not I, but Christ in me. It is all of Christ. Help us to know that and believe it deep in our hearts that you are good and that we don't deserve any of your grace. But I thank you that you offer it and give it to us and lavish it on us. So help us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.